Good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday. So good to see you this morning. I'm Lou Solomon. This is Human Touch. It is a bi-weekly gathering where we come together to talk with authentic people doing meaningful work, interesting work, and helping to solve the problems of the world. And in this morning's conversation, we are with my good friend, Interact's good friend, Dr. Cheryl Richards of Johnson and Wales University, president of Johnson and Wales University. And first, just welcome, Cheryl. We're so glad to have you. Thank you, Lou and Interact. It's nice to see you guys again. Yeah, great. Well, Let's just jump right in, Cheryl. You have been called a trailblazer in higher education. And I know just since I've known you, you've been making leaps and strides and you have these accomplishments behind you. I mean, before you were at Johnson & Wales, of course, you were regional dean and CEO of the Charlotte campus for Northeastern University. So where does that drive come from? Where's the love affair with higher education coming from? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Lou. And I think when you get to this point in your midlife crisis of a career, you, you know, pause and look back and say, how did I get to where I am? And some of it was intentional. And I think some of it was serendipity. Um, and some of it was probably part of a bigger plan. Um, you know, I, when I, I think about getting into higher education, I'm now in my 32nd year uh, working in higher ed and actually being paid for that work. Um, so it's been a long journey. Um, and I remember early in my career seeing individuals who were what they call lifers in higher ed. And um, a director of admissions one time was standing up giving a presentation and she said, this is my 30th year in higher education. And I was like, oh, that poor woman. Like, <laughs> it's just like, how do you find yourself in a 30 year career? And then here I am, you know, today um, living that dream. And, um, you know, I think it started off as, um, as a fun passion informed a lot by my graduate work. Uh, my graduate work was in student affairs in higher education and the notion of being able to be part of someone's journey at that critical maturational point when they're leaving home for the first time and exploring the world on their own and testing their own values and their preconceived notions of what life is and should be like and getting exposed to new thoughts uh, new ways of thinking, uh, new individuals, new populations, new career opportunities. Um, you know, that was pivotal, pivotal for me. And I found my passion in that in graduate school. And I said, I think I want to be part of that journey for people. And, um, and now I have the great opportunity to do that on a, a really large scale. Yeah. 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 I know that it's hard to describe, but after my graduate work, I really missed the feeling of being at some sort of uh, pulse or center of learning and being in touch with, I mean, there is a, there's just a really special ecosystem about all of that. And, and of course you're square up in the, in the heart of it. Well, you know, Cheryl, you took on your term at, at Johnson & Wales University on June 15th, 2020. Wow. 
I mean, that was a little more than a year ago. So it was in the grip of COVID. Tell us what that was like. What were you faced with when you walked into that office? Yeah. Well, um, I'm hoping I, I may find some time to write a book about it because it certainly was a journey. And um, for anyone who's uh, you know read le- a lot of leadership books, there's a great one called The First 90 Days. And it's a lot of lessons around you know what you should or should not do in your first 90 days in a new role. And I've decided that I think I'll, I'll call the um, author of that and ask if I can do a spinoff and do the first 90 days pandemic style, because there were, there were certainly a lot of things that I learned coming into the pandemic. Um, I, I've been keeping a journal uh, just to kind of capture um, a lot of the things that took place in the first year on this campus. And so I'll, I'll take us back to Um, really before I started in in March of 2020, when the pandemic hit, um, Johnson & Wales, like every other university um, in the United States, decided around that spring break time that students um, were off campus and they should stay off campus and they should go back home. And so Johnson & Wales, similarly, had uh, sent all of the students home in the spring quarter uh, that we were on there. And, you know, most people didn't think they were, it was going to be for long, but it turned out to be a, a very long time. Um, we are, um, we are known for culinary programs. And so we had a lot of students who were in the culinary arts programs that rely on hands-on learning and, um, learning in laboratories and the kitchen environment. And that's very hard to do in an online, um, streaming environment. The other complexity that Johnson & Wales had is that um, at that same time that the pandemic hit, the university was making a transition between a quarter system to move to the semester system. And uh, so there were a lot of requirements that we needed to have our students complete in order to make that transition. And completing a semester or a quarter online wasn't going to be sufficient. So um, three weeks after I started here, we actually brought about 250 students back on campus right after July 4th and uh, created six weeks of intensive learning to finish up their lab courses that were part of the quarter system and then prepare them to enroll in a semester system later on. And um, we were very successful at that. It was, it was actually a nice trial uh, for us to, to see how we could operate in a COVID environment. Um, over those six weeks, our faculty were amazing. Um, they came back, they taught in the classrooms, we installed plexiglass and had masks and social distancing and, um, and they really worked the students hard for eight hours a day to try and complete the material. Um, the students lived in the residence halls, and we came out of the end of the summer with zero cases of COVID. And um, I think that was a real testament to the grit of the faculty and staff and the commitment to get the students through and you know, not having anyone miss any more time. So we learned a lot from that. And then in the fall, uh, we opened our doors to about 1,000 students to come back and join us on campus 
um, really felt like it was important for first year students to have a traditional experience on campus or as close to that as possible. Um, you know, back to that maturational development that happens between leaving high school and going to college, we thought was really important. So um, we were sort of back to normal operations in the fall with our first year students on campus, with anyone who had lab courses taking those classes on campus. Now, of course, we were all masked and socially distant and, you know, trying to um, uh, create barriers uh, to, to keep people safe. Um, no large gatherings and no, you know, pom-poms and, um, you know, uh, the song and dance that comes with the traditional first year experience, but the academic experience was as close to normal as we could get it. And um, so, you know, we, we kind of, I think we were probably eased back into that normalcy more so than other institutions. Um, today, uh, I was just over welcoming about 200 new uh, freshmen and their parents in our new student orientation. And it's, I will tell you, it's back to normal for us. Um, we had the, the music piping in, we had the orientation leaders with their placards, you know, waving and cheering. We had parents sitting in our gymnasium with their students um, and, you know, ready to get back to the normalcy of, of what they've all been anticipating that college life will be like. Yeah, yeah. Well, as you look at the other institutions, what do you think the economic impact is on the other campuses of Charlotte? Because certainly as hands-on university as you are, then it gives you a certain exclusive look. But as you, as you think about just the, the campuses across Charlotte, what do you think the economic impact is? Um, well, I can tell you the uh, economic impact. There's you know, lots of reports that we follow now about enrollment being down in general across higher education. Um, you know, and what was interesting to me is um, you know, even the community colleges, which are really affordable options for people, um, are down significantly. And so you know, I have regular meetings with the um, leaders of the major large institutions in Charlotte, CPCC, Queens, uh, UNC Charlotte, Johnson C. Smith, and ourselves. And, um, and it was a struggle for a lot of the institutions. Several of them decided to go completely virtual. And, um, you know, that has, <clears throat> excuse me, economic uh, implications. Um, to, uh, institutions are not just driven by tuition. They're also driven by housing and all of the auxiliary um, services that come with that. And so, you know, institutions that chose not to bring students back on campus really had to grapple with that from a, a financial standpoint. And uh, talking with, you know, my colleague, uh, Dr. Dita Meyer over at CPCC, their enrollment is down. And, um, and that's a phenomenon that's affecting a lot of community colleges and and one that I don't think we fully understand why yet, um, why that's happening. We've been pretty blessed at Johnson and Wales. Um, our enrollment projections right now are, are steady, if not trending upward a little bit. And so that gives me um, optimism that we're headed back to uh, normalcy and that individuals are selecting 
institutions based on the unique value proposition that we can afford them. And you know, Johnson & Wales has certainly made our name in um, culinary. Um, this campus here was uh, awarded the honor of number six in the world for hospitality just this past spring by CEO World Magazine. So, you know, I think um, there will be consumers who still want a high quality education and a high quality experience. And um, as long as we can continue to provide that, I'm, I'm optimistic that um, that'll help us in our, our business operations. Yeah. You know, Susie Adams, who is on our team, is, is, a, is the universe's number one Clemson fan. And we, we were talking about how, how, if you lose that on-campus experience at iconic places like Clemson, what does that mean for the future? Uh, of can, can you carry, can you translate that into an online experience? It seems like it would be really hard. You know, I would say, Lou, I think one of the things that colleges and universities will have to grapple with uh, more so, and it, it, it's at an accelerated pace now, is the blend of using online uh, learning modalities with on-ground experiences. And, you know, prior to the pandemic, I think a lot of institutions were starting to explore online programs and expand their, um, their technology infrastructure in order to accommodate that new generation of learners. And what the pandemic did was essentially, you know, accelerate that and, and put it on steroids. And so we now are having conversations around what's the right mix. Um, you know, the, the students who are our consumers are technology natives. They grew up with technology at their fingertips. And so they expect certain elements of a, a learning journey to be available online. They frankly expect a lot of the services to be available 24 seven and at their fingertips. Um, so we, we're having a lot of significant conversations about what's the right mix of um, allowing accessibility and allowing access to resources, but not diminishing the um, all of the other things that make the college experience um, worthwhile and valuable from that student development perspective, right? Exploring, you know, uh, new friend groups and you know, testing out how to balance school and and other commitments. So. I think that's something that colleges and universities will grapple with in the, the coming years. And I would have to imagine too that for faculty, it has to be tough in terms of having to make a transition uh, to become the virtual uh, teacher, mm -hmm. facilitator, professor who in the past was able to reach out and connect and walk the classroom and it, it's catching them mid stride. They're not coming into this um, without some difficulty, I'm sure. Yeah, well, and I, I see the names of several of our faculty um, here on that. I, I don't wanna presume to speak for them, but I will tell you that um, they were amazing. 
Um, you know, I think faculty um, are drawn to this profession because uh, they're, they're natural teachers and uh, champions for others. And, you know, you know that, Lou, kind of being in this business as well, right? You, you want to establish a connection with somebody. You want to feel the emotion. You want to see when the light bulb goes off and you want to, you know, see that something you've said has made that difference. And, um, and that's hard when you're looking on a Zoom screen with 20 boxes and, you know, trying to see is somebody multitasking or have they turned off their camera because they're doing something else or is it just because they don't have the technology or the access, you know, to, to have a, a camera on the top of their screen. So it was, it was quite a learning curve, I think, particularly um, for our faculty, because we're all about experiential learning at Johnson and Wales, and um, you know it, it's about the applied learning. And Zoom doesn't always allow you to, to have that application in in real time in a real uh, connected way. So I know you know most of them when we said you know we'll have the option to come back to return to normalcy. Said Hallelujah, you know we're ready to come back to the classroom and and uh, uh, be there with our students. Yes, well, you are singing our song. Um, there are good things that have come from it too. We, we value and count our blessings in terms of having quickened our services and the global reach that we have, but we, just like you, wanna see that light bulb, wanna, wanna be in proximity with people in the transfer and experience of, of learning, absolutely. Well, we always like to ask the leaders who graciously spend a little time with us, who might you think of in terms of an individual that helped shape you as a leader? One thing we notice is that, you know, great leaders tend to know who, what, where, you know, in terms of environments and uh, have shaped them in, in their core values and who comes to mind uh, for you? You know, I, I thought a little bit about that question when I saw you send it over and um, the very first people I would say that popped into my head were my parents. Um, you know, they were, um, they were so inspirational for me as a young person giving me the confidence to say, you can do whatever you want to do. Um, and, you know, you will be exceptional at what you want to do. And I think that's important, right? To come into a leadership journey with self-assurance and self-confidence to, to be able to step into new roles. Um, I, but I also think that humility is equally as important in that. And, um, there, I don't want to call it any single person, but I think in my leadership journey, um, I, I, was, I was bordering on um, being too ambitious and overly ambitious in order to it, you know, move into roles of greater responsibility. And I had you know, a number of individuals in those journeys that you know, gave me really good feedback along the way and kind of put my check, you know, checked my, my own ambitions um, to say, you know, not at the expense of people. And, um, and I think that was really good, right? To balance the aspirations and the ambition with humility. 
And um, so I, don't, I won't call out anybody other than my parents, um, you know, who I think were really influential, but across the way, I was blessed with so many mentors, both in the field of higher education, as well as outside of the field of higher education, who along the way have continued to give me nuggets and, and ways to look at the world. And, and I think having that opportunity uh, for feedback and listening to it um, and getting it from leaders in the industry. You know, Tony Zeiss was a, a mentor of mine when I was at CPCC and you know, really kind of helped me in my aspirational journey to becoming a president. Um, but then you know, Bob Morgan was at the Charlotte Chamber of Commerce and he was a mentor and, and he was my mentor from a, a community standpoint. You know, what are you doing to uplift the community? And how are you using your leadership position to influence the greater good of Charlotte? And you know, both of those were equally as important to me in this role that I'm in now because it's about leading the institution but it's about leading the institution for the students that are here. And ultimately the students are going into the workforce and they are the representatives of our university, you know, as employees. And um, we wanna make sure that we're aligned with that as well. So I think having that blend of mentors, you can look at it from the lens and the acronyms that we use in higher ed, but look at it from a lens outside of the industry was really um, pivotal in my journey. Yeah, we have a question for you and you might, might want to address it and ask for further comment from, from your faculty, but um, the, it, it goes like this, the pandemic changed the food and hospitality industry in some ways, perhaps forever. How have you, how are you adapting your learning to reflect those changes and new models? Yeah, it's a great question. And, um, you know, one of the things that we have started to do this year is really get close with our industry partners. So, you know, I meet with the large employers, hospitality and restaurateurs in the area to say, what are your needs? Um, it, it has been fascinating for me to see um, how the, the pandemic changed the economics of restaurants. You know, they have always lived on very thin margins. And now they're, and they've not ever had to really compete for talent, really top talent, because it was an entry way for a lot of people who then wanted to move on to other careers. And that's not the case anymore. You know, there, you can go, you know, virtually um, half the restaurants in Charlotte right now have some sort of sign on their window that says, please be patient with us. You know, either our hours have changed or our, um, we don't have enough uh, cooks. We don't have enough chefs. We don't have enough servers. We don't have enough bartenders. And so they've had to modify their business operations based on the talent that is available coming out. And, um, you know, I was talking with a very large employer recently who said, uh, we'll take 200 students as soon as you have them, we'll take them here. And, and I've said, I don't necessarily have them yet. It's a, you know, and, and not only do I not have them in the right today, but they've got to go through the learning journey, right, to, to become prepared. 
And so we're starting to think about um, ways that we can partner with employers in short-term certifications, short-term skill development um, that will give them access to that talent more quickly than they would have had previously. And I, you know, I think this is, um, this is similar to what the IT industry faced a few years ago with the IT boom, right? They couldn't find people fast enough they had boot camps that were starting up. And so we're, we're starting to do similar um, exploration now. Um, I'm really excited. And I'll say, as I know many people here are from Charlotte, um, we launched this past year a partnership with a celebrity chef, David Burke. Um, he's out of New York, has several restaurants in New York, New Jersey area, but opened uh, two restaurants here in Charlotte at Le Meridian Hotel one is Red Salt, which is indoors, and then Cloud Bar, which is upstairs. And um, he, he was one of the first that said, I wanna create a really unique partnership with Johnson & Wales to bring high quality talent into my restaurants. And so we created the David Burke's Fellows Program and identified students out of our culinary arts program, as well as out of our hospitality management program and they um, were fellows over the summer and he paid them very competitive wages. Um, they are working 35 hours a week, but he's paying them 40 hours a week. And the other five hours are professional development training with his management team so that the students have real applied um, experiences and opportunities in his restaurants. And um, so we're gonna circulate that through and run cohorts of those fellows and then these students will have opportunities to work at his restaurants in New York and New Jersey, and he just opened a couple in Dubai. Uh, so those kinds of partnerships, I think, will change, and I think that's how the industry is going to start to look to us, just as they did, you know, trying to figure out how to solve the technology boom a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're, we're right at time, but let me ask you, you know, we are all so proud of Johnson & Wales. It is truly a jewel. When we talk about Charlotte, it's just a, one of those natural resource campuses that makes us so proud of the city. What do you want us to know about Johnson & Wales as we wrap up our program? What might we not know? You just told us some really exciting things. Is there anything else you'd like to tell us about? Yeah, um, well, I, I think I would say, you know, we, we, um, we are open for the community is the one thing that I would like to say, you know, in the pandemic, um, we, we got away from some of our ex, um, opportunities for the business community, for uh, children's cooking camps and things of that nature to come in. And, and those are all back and available for the community to come and take part in. Um, and as we grow our campus here, there, there are five colleges that make up our campus. Certainly our College of Food Innovation and Technology is most uh, notable for our contributions to the community. The College of Hospitality Management that I mentioned um, with their global ranking um, we have a College of Business and a College of Arts and Sciences, and then this fall we will bring on a College of Health and Wellness to the community, really to create that intersection of uh, food systems and food sustainability and what that means to health and wellness. And so as the community starts to think about the role that we can play 
uh, as an additional contributor to the community's needs. You know, think of us across all five of those areas. Yes, wonderful. Well, thank you, Cheryl thank Richards, and to the, fo the folks on faculty who are with us as well. We just uh, appreciate who you are and what you're doing. Cheryl, thank you for being generous with your time. And everyone, we will see you on the 29th. We have D'Amica, or as her friends like to call her, Shantae Kimpson, who was named Charlotte Mecklenburg School's Teacher of the Year. And we're excited to hear what insights she'll have for us about CMS on its journey. Thank you. Have a wonderful rest of the day and we'll see you soon. Thanks, Lou.